1059 The Region, in partnership with REMAX Prime Properties, present On the Market, real estate advice that works for you. Have a real estate question? Call us at 416-335-1059. Tweet us at 1059theregion or email us at info at 1059theregion.com. You're listening to 105.9 The Region, and welcome to On The Market, York Region's only radio real estate show. I'm station manager Tina Cortez, and my co-host and the expert on all matters real estate is Asif Khan with REMAX Prime Properties. Asif, we're approaching the end of the year. Can you believe it? What does that mean traditionally for real estate, and how does this season compare? Wow, December 2nd. (laughs) Um, Yeah, you know what? The end of the year is usually fairly quiet by now, but... With all the activity and everything that we're seeing, you know, with the changes coming up January 1st, there's been a a real flurry of activity of people trying to make a purchase before the end of the year. And, you know, these are people that were sitting on the fence since April, May, and we're starting to see them come out and say, you know what, I'm tired of waiting. I'm tired of all these changes. And I just want a house before my buying power decreases after the uh, stress test coming up. Yeah, and we'll talk more about that stress test a little bit later on. What are you noticing right now in the region? Where are those uh, hot spots? Markham, you're seeing a lot of listings in Markham, in in Vaughn. Vaughn has been on fire. And how the Vaughn subway opens? Uh, December, December 17th. December 17th. So, uh, you know, that's that's going to be huge news for Vaughn. And you're going to see a lot of activity in the, the Jane Highway 7 corridor with the condos and everything. So, uh, you know, prices are obviously going to go up. So if you've purchased one of those condos in the last three years, this is your time that you're sitting pretty. So, you know, there's going to be a lot of activity in the region over the next few months. And we're going to see, uh, you know, more people come to the region because it's more accessible. But you're also going to see more traffic and congestion. Um, Does that that can't help? I think the the subway will help with the traffic and congestion. Uh, You're going to see a lot of people that, you know, may already be driving to work and stuff opt to take the subway now. So, it may help with the traffic and congestion as more people move to the region. We're obviously going to have more traffic, more cars on the road. Uh, you know, the region's doing a lot of work with infrastructure, uh, with with certain roads that are already, um, you know, uh, pointed out as being problem areas. And you're going to see some construction over the next uh, couple of years to try and to try and ease that uh, congestion a bit. Now, you've talked about those condos along Highway Seven near the Vaughan Subway. Um, do you think how how high are those prices going to go in that corridor? So, I mean that's uh, that's kind of an unknown right now. But if you look at what's happened along the Young Street corridor, and and even if you look at so in and around the Shepherd area, is that what you're thinking? In and around Shepherd, but even if you look at uh, Steels and and uh, you know just north of uh, by Highway Seven, mm-hmm. with the anticipation of the subway coming up in like 10 years or 15 years or 20 years, those prices are starting to climb. So, you know, you've got, you've got transit that takes you down to the subway line. So anything around uh, the area that's, that's easy to get to a subway station is going to appreciate because, you know, that, that's one of the, the driving points of the market is how accessible is the property. So you're going to see, you know, fairly rapid and, um, you know, good appreciation for those condos in the area and also for the houses in the area. So, you know, the the condo in the area has been a great starter home for many. Is it now going to be out of reach, do you think? You'll still have, uh, I mean, as 
as uh, prices appreciate, you're still going to have that same threshold for starter homes or starter condos. You're going to have people moving to smaller units just to make it affordable. And But now, just think, now that the subway's up to Highway 7, even places up by Rutherford Road or Major Mac, they're all now within a five-minute bus ride or a drive or a 15-minute walk to the subway station. So it affects everything, and it makes everyone, uh, you know, more accessible to the city. You also talked about Markham. Why is Markham so hot right now? You're starting to see a lot of people that were sitting on the fence. Uh, you know, Markham got hit probably, it was one of the hardest hit areas in our region over April, May, June. So now you're starting to see people come back and say, okay, I'm ready to buy. I want to buy before, you know, this the stress test comes into play. And and you're seeing a lot of activity. You're seeing a lot of listings come up in Markham and you're seeing sales as well. When we come back, why you should have more than just mortgage insurance. Stay with us. You're listening to On the Market on 105.9 The Region. More with Asif Khan and Remax Prime Properties when we come back. You're listening to 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to On The Market, York Region's only radio real estate show. I'm station manager Tina Cortez, and my co-host is Asif Khan with Remax Prime Properties. Thank you, Tina. Joining us now is Walter Bianco from Walter Bianco Insurance Agency. Walter, welcome to the show. Hi, yes. Thank you for having me. You know, Walter, when, when someone buys a home, uh, you know, banks suggest that uh, you get mortgage insurance on that. Uh, you and I were uh, talking off air, and you were recommending some other products that may be more beneficial. Let's go through some of those products. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, what you can do is, I mean, by all means, you're free to buy the ones from the bank, and uh, it's not an, uh, it's not a, a, something that you have to do to buy from someone else, but it's personal preferences. But there are some differences that need to be uh, understood so, you, so the buyer can make an informed decision. Like, for example, if you were to buy the one from the banks, I mean, they they issue the – they ask you a few questions, you check off a box, and you just pay the money every month versus the one that you buy from uh, an insurance company. A life insurance company is uh, something that's portable, something you buy, and we underwrite it up front versus underwriting uh, – buying it and having um, the underwriting done at the end, at the time of loss, what they call it. So there's uh, one difference that you have there. So plus the ones from the bank, they work on a declining balance versus as you're paying off your mortgage, less and less of your money goes uh, is left available should something happen. Whereas a life insurance product, if you buy a face value, say a hundred thousand, two, four, or five hundred thousand, that balance is always constant. Should should that person who buys the insurance pass away, they would pay out five hundred thousand dollars versus the declining balance. Um, at the banks, let's say you had a $500,000 mortgage, it would be declining, let's say, 15 years. You can go as far as, you know, 18 years of paying into this, and th- there could be like a, a $3,000 balance left on your mortgage. And if you were to die, they would pay out $3,000, and they would pay it out to themselves. Versus if you had a 20-year term policy, for example, and after the 18th year, you were to pass away, they would pay out the full $500,000, to who you like. So you choose the beneficiary rather than having the banks as your beneficiary. I see. Now, so, Walter, I have a quick question for you. You know, it sounds sure. pretty simple, though. When you're purchasing a home, there's so much to do, so much paperwork. It sounds so much easier just to go with the bank and, as you said, tick off a box. 
Why it should is. we it do more mm-hmm. homework then? Tell me what is the benefit for me? And you explained some of that already. But give me a few more details and, and um, perhaps explain to me as well, what does that underwriting mean? Well, the underwriting is what uh, the insurance companies do. Like even for auto and home insurance and everything, they underwrite the policy. So you give them, they ask you questions, they give you information, and they issue the policy. Now, for life insurances, they underwrite you at the beginning, which means you fill out a complete application. You go through your name, your address, date of birth, all that sort of stuff, health history and information, any health conditions that you have, so they can properly assess the risk that they're insuring. So let's say you're 30 years old, you're buying your first home, they ask you some questions, you're generally going to be in good health, you'd buy, I would suggest a term policy to cover any mortgage needs because it is less expensive. You'd buy it, they underwrite you, or and say there's nothing, they issue the policy and it's yours. As long as you make the premiums, they're going to pay out should you pass away. If, let's say, for example, you're 40 years old, you can still take it out. There's no problem. Let's say you may have a health issue. Let's say that's being treated by a doctor and it's under control. They can still issue it. You may not get as favorable a rate, but all the other aspects still come into play. Again, like it's declining balance versus the, the face value that you have. They'll always pay out the face value, the full amount, and to who you like versus the declining balance. Now, at the banks, they underwrite it um, as far as I'm aware, in the reverse order, which means you just take off a box, just give them money every month. So you may or may not have coverage. That's something that might not sit well with people because they want to know that they have coverage. And you buy an auto policy, you want to make sure you're on the road, you have coverage. If anything happens, you don't want to be sued and lose your assets. So you could be paying into this for, again, go back to the example, for 18 years. and Or you can pay it for one year, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden you pass away. And now your spouse, the grieving spouse, has to they got to file with the company that they issued their 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 uh, policy, and they got to say, okay, they passed away. So they pull out their application, and they'll look at it, and they'll review it. They'll say, okay, now they're going to order the doctor's reports and say, okay, because one of the questions they ask, have you ever been to a doctor or seen this or that for any reason? Maybe that's out of the normal. And say they went, they checked off, you know, no, 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 but they had gone to the doctor because they had some breathing problems like five years earlier, and they weren't even aware that could be contradictory to their policy. So that alone may be enough to just cancel the policy and not pay out any benefits. Wow. So here you have a grieving spouse, no benefits, stuck with this mortgage, forced to sell the house. Like I've seen it. And they, they're not sure that they have coverage. Compare that to a life insurance company that would issue it. And they would say, okay, this person passed away even after the first year. You have a $500,000 500, mortgage. You have a $500,000 life policy. Once they satisfy the condition, you prove death certificate, you prove it. Like within days, you can be turned around and have a check for $500,000 to the spouse. And now they can do what they need to do with the money. They can continue to pay the mortgage and not pay off the mortgage. They can pay off some of it. They can put 100000 pay for death benefits for their spouse. At least they have money available and they're not going to be left destitute. And peace so of the, mind. The issue here is you want to know that you're covered when you buy something. If not, maybe, maybe not. It's almost like, yeah, peace of mind for purchasing peace of mind. Now, with, right. that, with that, mm-hmm. uh, when, when you do get paid out, if, if it's a diminishing scale, suppose you purchase a house and you have a $500,000 mortgage and something happens when there's ten or fifteen or $20,000 left on the mortgage. So the bank is only going right. to pay out the ten or fifteen or 20000 if you meet all the criteria, right? Right. If they deem that there is coverage at that point, they're the beneficiary and they pay out if there is coverage. So you got to be careful with that because you want to make sure 
you leave behind at least money to keep your com- family comfortable and living in the lifestyle. You don't want to have to sell the house and live a different type of lifestyle than you would want them to live in. And that's the whole idea of life insurance uh, for that. Mm. Correct. And now with, uh, with that as well, it sounds like the, the bank's mortgage insurance is basically just for the benefit of the bank, whereas when a purchaser goes and gets their own insurance, it's for their benefit. Exactly. Precisely. You choose the amount that you want and you choose, the more importantly, the beneficiary you want. And the most important reason is once it's issued, you know you're covered. Is this something that also has to be, you know, you have to inform your lawyer about so that it is included in a will or an estate? Sure. By all means, you can do all that, include that. The more people that know, the better. I'm sure the person who takes out the life policy will designate a beneficiary and they'll let the beneficiary know, usually the spouse, and say, hey, listen, you know, this is the money. If something happens, at least you're covered. And a lot of times if it's working couples like we have in, in Toronto and York region, they usually both couples are working, which means they will both take out a life policy on each other, which means if something happens to one, um, the other policy, at least they have some money coming in to cover what the other person, their income, it's usually to offset their income, but there are other expenses that, you know, even if a, uh, a working mom stayed at home, even if something happened like that or a working dad stayed at home, at least there's money, there's value and the, and the spouse that's staying at home because they cook, they clean, they drive the kids here and there. Try and replace that with uh, a third party, babysitting, drivers, lawn care, you know, laundry, all that sort of stuff, especially if the one that lives, the surviving spouse is working, they may not have the time to accomplish all that. So it's, it's beneficiary for both of them and there's comfort and they can move forward knowing that they're in good hands. Now, Walter, usually, um, like, is there an amount that you recommend on top of the mortgage amount for a policy like that? Do you, if someone has a $500,000 mortgage, do you recommend, uh, you know, you should have a $300,000 term policy or $500,000, or should you go more with, say, six hundred? That's uh, that, that that's that when you drill down, that's specific to the person and the people who are taking out the life insurance. They have to know also what they can afford to pay. They have to make it reasonable. Maybe they want it just to cover the mortgage. Some people who who are or who find it more important or have more money available might say, you know what, here's five hundred thousand to pay off the mortgage, and here's here's another. I want another two hundred fifty thousand so they can live in comfortable because in case they lose their job or anything like that, or there's some grieving time, they have some money to offset it. So that's the important thing. It's whatever lifestyle you want the other person to live, you know, should something happen to you. And and another thing is people take this out saying, okay, you know what, in 20 years, the mortgage will be paid down. And I might, you know, instead of 500,000, it might be only 100,000 left in the mortgage. So they got the 400,000 there. What people fail to realize is something can happen to you tomorrow. It's not necessarily 20 years down. You can get in your car and drive. I just read it on the news this morning. A tragic accident happened. Uh, the single vehicle person lost their life. How do you know? You don't know. And that's the insurance that you want. So don't plan on 20 years. Maybe nothing will happen. There'll be this money left over. Plan as if something was going to happen tomorrow. How much money would you want available to your family? Here's a better question. If you passed away yesterday, how much money would you want your family to have? And good advice. Thank you very much, Walter, for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. When we come back, uh, we chat with another expert about the new rules which go into effect in the new year. And just a reminder, if you missed any part of our show, go to 1059theregion.com and click on On the Market. You're listening to On the Market on 1059 The Region. Stay with us. More with Asif Khan and Remax Prime Properties when we come back. 
Welcome back to On the Market, York Region's only radio real estate show on 105.9 The Region. I'm station manager Tina Cortez, and my co-host is Asif Khan with REMAX Prime Properties. Thank you, Tina. Joining us to speak about the new mortgage rules coming into place is the principal broker and founder of Integrity Mortgage Solutions, Asif Kasim. Asif, welcome to the show. Thanks, Asif. Asif, there's, uh, there's been a lot of talk about the stress test and how it's now going to be applied to everyone rather than just people that were putting uh, less than 20% down. Can you share your thoughts on that? Now, there's been, there's been some clarifications over the last few days of who it's going to impact most. Uh, maybe you can uh, help us w- you know, kind of get through this information and, and help our listeners you know, kind of uh, you know, with what they should be doing at this point and you know, should they be getting pre-approved right now? How long would that pre-approval be for? You know, give us some, uh, give us, shed some light on that for us. Sure, sure. Well, the new rules go into effect on January 1st. And the way the rules are, the, the, the primary focus around the rules is that any put, anybody putting down 20% on a purchase, they will now have to qualify with a higher qualifying rate. So let's put things in perspective. Um, prior to these rule changes, if a client was purchasing a home and putting down 20% and they were getting a five-year fixed rate of let's call it 3.44. That's kind of the going rate right now. They would actually have to use 3.44 to qualify how much they would um, be able to purchase for. After January 1st, they'd have to add 2% to that 3.44 to see what they would qualify for. So now in January 1st, they'll be applying or using the for uh, qualifying purposes, the contract rate plus 2%. That'll be 5.44. The impact of this is that you will essentially qualify for less. So, for example, if you have a household income of about 100,000, today you could probably qualify to purchase a place for 650. Uh, after January 1st, you'll qualify for 575. So, oh. that's a significant drop off of what you can qualify for. Absolutely. Yeah, that's huge. Now, with uh, with that, so you're you're talking about a fifteen, sixteen percent uh, decrease in what your mortgage amount should be. Exactly. So it, there's a significant drop off in terms of what you can qualify for, and this is going to impact a lot of first time home buyers or um, clients who have incomes under 100,000 uh, combined, it's going to be a lot tougher for them to qualify for, especially within the GTA region. So are you suggesting that can you pre-qualify now? Is that possible? Well, based on my understanding of the rules, it uh, the pre-approval or the pre-qualifying now won't actually have any impact for after January 1st. Oh. It's when the real estate contract is signed. So even if you went into the bank or you spoke with a broker or a specialist and they gave you a pre-approval today, based on my understanding, the lenders will not accept if the purchase agreement is done after January 1st. They will they will still use the new rules. So what's happened recently is there's been a flood of clients trying to purchase now or refinance now mm-hmm. versus waiting till after the new year. And also, I, I believe, how is this going to affect people that purchased condos, you know, new construction? Now, we had previously heard that 
they may not qualify now. But what is the impact? So if you're saying if it's the date of the contract, are those people It's safe? the date of the contract, yes. So that they would be so, safe. Yeah. I was going to say, so if, if they purchased prior to January 1st, if they even went in today and purchased a new construction condo, the contract is done before January 1st, they can use the old rules to qualify. Even though if the it, condo doesn't close until the ago, new year. Still, same thing, they can use the old rules. Okay, so the condo doesn't close until 2018. When I signed the contract is when it would go into effect, right? Exactly, okay. exactly. One of the uh, big five lenders, uh, which I can't necessarily come out and say, but they gave me the rules based on how they're going to do it. Mm-hmm. And they said that any contracts that are done prior to January 1st will be grandfathered. So tell me what you think about this stress test. Do you think it's a good idea? Well, there's a variety of perspectives on that. Uh, I think I understand why the government may, may be looking at this. They're trying to uh, slow down housing prices. They're trying to um, lower the amount of clients who have um, a high level of debt. debt at home. And then Canadians do have a high level of debt. Um, it is, it's is—it's been tracked for years, and my understanding is that this is another way of being able to slow down the amount of clients purchasing homes well above what they should be purchasing and having million-dollar debts. So I, I do understand it. Does it hurt the market? Yes. Does it hurt the buyers? Yes. But as with all changes that have happened in the last 20 years, um, every time there's a change, we find a way to overcome that challenge. Is it going to work? Do you think it's going to slow down the market? What's your prediction? Uh, My prediction is it may have a small impact based on shock value for the first while, uh, maybe for the first three, four months of the the new year. And I think no different than when the rules were um, rolled out last year, the first quarter is going to be slow and then eventually people will start picking up again. I think some of the things I, I, I envision happening is you'll end up having more co-signers. So a typical husband and wife situation purchasing a home, they may not be able to qualify for what they want, but now a sibling or a parent or, or, or a child who's of age and qualifies will add on to that. So you'll have more co-signing situations coming up. I can see that. Um, you might see more generational wealth shifting from parents down to children to put down a higher down payment to make the numbers work. Now, I've also heard us if that there are rumors of banks offering 30-year or 35-year amortization again to combat the the payments. Now, have you heard any of that? Uh, well, the 30-year has been around. It hasn't gone anywhere. It was only applicable to anyone putting 20% down. So that's always going to be there. And even if we ran the numbers doing the 30-year, um, the reality is it has only so much of an impact. Uh, the 35-year is pretty much limited to one lender on the market. Could that open up? There there have been talks about it. Um, one of the ways that they may combat this is some of the lenders may play around with their their ratios, their total debt servicing ratios. Um, they haven't actually done it yet. And, and I suspect that some of the lenders are, might be afraid to do so because they don't want to be seen as how do we circumvent the system to the government, right? Uh, but they may play around with some of the ratios and qualifying ratios. 
Okay, I guess we'll uh, wait and see what happens with this one, that's for sure. Thank you, Asif, for joining us. Thank you. No problem. Thank you. Asif, we only have a few minutes left to take some questions from our listeners. Let's start with this one from Katie in Markham. She purchased a condo from Plans about two years ago. Recently, she went to inspect the condo to look for deficiencies and was informed that it would likely be closing in January. Now what? What expenses should she prepare, be prepared for at closing? And if she's not moving in, what does she do? Is there a way to postpone or delay that closing? Again, great question, Katie. I mean, especially in York region, there are a lot of condos coming up, you know, January, February, March closings uh, because they have been under construction for the last couple of years. And and what you're seeing is is not uncommon. A lot of people are worried about what they're paying. And if you did your initial purchase through a realtor, uh, they would have been able to cap some of your fees and give you an exact amount. If your fees have not been capped, uh, we really need to take a look at your agreement of purchase and sale with the builder to see what they'll be charging you. And and by caps, I mean there's there's development charges that can be capped. Some people will cap them at $3,500 or $5,000. If they're not capped, you could be spending fourteen, eighteen, $20,000 on development oh charges. So we really need to make sure that um, the the amounts that are stipulated in your agreement of purchase there are available. Uh, you've got land transfer tax. You also have, uh, you know, miscellaneous charges like, you know, different finishings that you've done that have to be paid for now. And obviously your balance of the uh, down payment. So if you've only put down 10 or 15% and you need to put 20 down for the property, you have to put the uh, extra amount as well on closing. So, you know, I would suggest meeting up with a, a realtor or a lawyer and getting the exact amounts and preparing for it. Uh, as far as delaying the closing, there are usually penalties in place and, you know, you may even forfeit your deposit and lose your uh, agreement of purchase and sale if you try to delay it or postpone it if you're not ready for closing. So it's best, again, to consult the lawyer and also the builder. Uh, if the builder, the builder usually has dates set out in their carry-on agreement to say, you know, this would be uh, the day that they have to inform you if there's going to be a delay. But unfortunately for the buyers, we don't have that set out. So it's very hard to postpone uh, closing with the builder Unless, of course, there's deficiencies and you go to them and say, I'm not closing until these are rectified. But and what again, if the deficiencies are not in your condo per se, but frankly, it's still a, a construction site. It's still a work environment. Um, are you forced to close that deal? Usually they go by floor. So if your floor is ready to be inhabited, then you're ready to close. Uh, you know, we see that with homes as well. I mean, the, the entire house does not have to be ready, the builder can force you to close on it as long as a certain percentage is ready. So, uh, you know, if your unit is ready to be moved in, you can expect that the builder is going to pressure you into moving in on the closing date. Learn something new every week. Thank you, Asif. We'll catch up again next week. If you missed any part of On the Market, go to our website, 1059theregion.com. Thanks for listening. You can connect with us on Twitter at 1059theregion, or you can call us at 416-335-1059, or email info at 1059theregion.com. Thanks for listening. This is 1059 The Region.